really got to try on that left hand side. What happened? <laughs> oh, but I've gone up and over, and Marty head over biscuit. It was a, uh, it was, a, it wasn't enough stability there for myself. But um, no, I was busting for a bit to make this game. It didn't seem to work out. Hello, cheers, and welcome, welcome to the Scrum of the Earth podcast, the podcast that brings you news, results, great interviews, and so much more, all about the world of rugby union. So it's it's Sunday evening. I got my big fat mug of tea. My uh, my Patriots just completely destroyed the Cleveland Browns and, and managed to send their uh, their quarterback packing. It, it feels like we've done that a lot this this year. If uh, your theory is uh, prevent the other team's quarterback from actually playing and you will find success. I, I, I think uh, there's something to that. I think it's kind of working for us. Anyway, who am I? Well, I'm David Lawrence. I'm an American rugby fan. I follow the game all over the globe. I support my New England Free Jacks, my USA Eagles. I'm a fan of Scotland, of Connacht and the URC, the Highlanders and Super Rugby, and most recently of Waikato and the NPC. Go Waikato. So what can you expect from this podcast? Well, you can expect us to be here 52 weeks a year, that's for sure, regardless of how much rugby is actually being played at any given moment. And uh, you can count on our weekly format, which goes thusly. We start always with current updates. And of course, that's just, you know, that's just what's happening with me personally at the moment. Then we look at news from all over the world of Rugby Union. We do thoughts of the week. What's interesting or annoying this week? And again, if something's bugging you, this could easily become your segment. Just let me know what you want me to talk about. Of course, the big part is we do reviews and previews. That's, of course, recent and future action. And in between those two segments, I always give out my coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award, my award for the Player of the Week. So if you want to get in touch, by all means, please do so. I can always be found on Twitter. I am at of Scrum. I'm on Instagram at the Scrum of the Earth podcast. And you can always just shoot me an email at the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you've been thinking about reaching out, but just haven't yet, you know, just assume I'm speaking directly to you when I say, drop me a line. So current updates. Well, as most of you know, I have begun a new career as a teacher, and I have managed to take another step on that very path. So in this case, I've been hired as a permanent substitute, uh, which isn't exactly what I want to end up doing, but it is a step in, uh, in the right direction. It's a step that all the teachers I currently know had to take before they got there. So, you know, I'm, I'm feeling enthusiastic. Uh, I'm feeling a bit more optimistic than I have for quite a while. Uh, this, could mean, <laughs> this could be the end of my career as a DoorDasher, and uh, that would be kind of nice. So, again, you know, hey, everybody, wish me luck. He's stupid! He's stupid! People have to know! That's right, Isa. The news this week is too good. So, this week, Major League Rugby announced its schedule for the 2022 season. It's going to kick off on February 5th, and as a founding member of the New England Free Jacks, I am incredibly excited. It's going to be so cool. So, of course, MLR have done that thing again, where they they stack our schedule with away games to start the year, with the majority of home games coming in the second half of the year. So, I understand that the thinking is New England is just too cold for people to come and to sit and actually watch a sporting event outside for a few hours. And so, you know... Believe me, I'm well aware how cold it gets, so I guess there's something to that. So I can easily point towards the Patriots selling out Gillette Stadium even when it was so cold that the governor of Massachusetts told people on television not to leave their houses. But, you know, I get it. MLR is not the NFL. Also, the Super Bowl usually happens right 
at the beginning of February, you know, very late January, early February, uh, beginning of February, which is, you know, the, when the coldest and worst weather always engulfs us here, that, that's February. So the Patriots don't actually have games in the dead of winter, per se. You know, as a New England sports, a sports fan, of course, showing up when it's just awful out seems kind of like a badge of honor. But I'll have to assume that the people in marketing have a better handle on what fans will or will, uh, you know, will, will or will not subject themselves to. So, you know, in the end, we have to play away for the first four weeks. Then we come home for our 2022 opener on March 12th. That's five days before St. Patty's Day, which is huge in Massachusetts, almost unreasonably so. No, 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 not almost. Definitely unreasonably so. Uh, we'll be facing Toronto, but, and then we have to go back on the road for two more weeks. So, you know what? It's tough, but hey, so are we. Reviews. Okay, so the league, uh, I've mentioned this before. Some of you will know this. The league I wish I could follow but can't find a way to do so here in the United States is the Top 14. That is a super intense competition that produces many of the teams that compete in the European competitions, which I just, (laughs) I absolutely love. And uh, quick side note, if you're confused by the phrase European competitions, please check out my mini bonus pod from last October 6th. It's titled, What's the Deal with European Rugby? Uh, In any event, this year, the two European Cups, the Heineken Champions Cup and the EPCR Challenge Cup, both begin on December 10th, which is much sooner than it feels right now, eh? This year, the Challenge Cup features five teams from the English Premiership, four from the URC, and six from the French Top 14. So the French teams are going to be Biarritz, Brive, Lyon, uh, uh, what I've now discovered is not, I, I've been saying Pau for like a couple of years now, but it's Po, Perpignan, and Toulon. So this year in the top 14, Biarritz are at the bottom of the table. They've won three of 10 with just 14 league points. Brive are slightly better with four wins and 21 points. Lyon are exactly in the middle. They've got five. They're at five for five and have 26 points. Poe are also at five and five, but have 22 points. Perpignan find themselves at the very bottom tied with Biarritz with the same record and the same total points exactly. And uh, Toulon is only a hair better. They have gone three, one, and six garnering 16 points. So none of these teams, you know, none of them look particularly great, but they're all French teams. And with French teams, you just never know what's going to happen on any given day. And so I, I, I can't wait to see these teams in action against the teams that I'm watching on a regular basis. It's just, it's so much fun. And then of course, in the Heineken's Champions Cup, we get a bigger group with even more, uh, or I should say with more even representation across these leagues. So there will be eight Prem teams, eight URC teams, and eight from the top four teams. So the French teams are the Bordeaux Beglas, the, uh, it'll be Castres, it'll be Clermont, it'll be La Rochelle, it'll be Montpellier, it'll be Racing 92, it'll be Stade Francais, and Toulouse. So this year in the top 14, Bordeaux Beg, uh, <laughs> Gosh, I'm, I always struggle like how much I'm going to try with the pronunciation, but it, it's Bordeaux Begle. They're in second place. They have posted a 7 1 2 record for 33 league points. Castres are smack dab in the middle. They're currently holding seventh place at 5 1 4 with 23 points. La Rochelle are one slot above at 5 5 with 24 points. Clermont are also at 5 5 and have 23 points. Montpellier have a 5-1-4 record and 26 points. And Racing 92 have one more win, but one fewer league point. And then, of course, Stade Francais, they're struggling a bit. They're at 4-6 and, and have 18 points, while Toulouse, 
whew, they are at the very top. They're going an impressive eight and two right now, earning a whopping thirty-six lead point league points at this stage of the competition. The seeding for this tournament is based on last season's results, of course. So the current table that I was just referring to doesn't, you know, precisely match. So in this case, Toulouse, La Rochelle, Racing ninety two, and Bordeaux Begle represent the top four spots. As with the Challenge Cup, however, you know, just don't be surprised by any, any upsets. And if any of my American listeners know how I can get the top fourteen here in the U.S., please do me a favor. Let me know. I would love to be tuning in. It seems so great. So the NPC, ooh, so the NPC semifinals arrived this weekend, and frankly, you know, it was awesome. <laughs> so first up was Manawatu versus Otago, and it was, as expected, a tight one. Uh, one penalty to two made it three to six for Otago until just before the end of the half, when Josh Hill scored a lovely try, seriously, so nice. And with former Diamond in the Ruck recipient Josh Iwana converting, it was three to 13 for Otago. And I do have to say, maybe... I only get really, you know, maybe I only got tuned in for these last few weeks, but I was surprised to see that Otago were the away team. They, they've looked so strong to me recently. Um, I just expected, you know, just based on the last few weeks, I would have assumed that they were favored in any match. So in the second half, Sam Gilbert, a man who looked like he was uh, going as Duhan Vandenberg for Halloween, he scored a sweet try right in the left post. And shortly after making it 6-20, to Otago again scored a gorgeous try off a, you guessed it, a magic pass from Josh Iwani. It's almost like he's playing varsity, playing against the JV squad or something there right now. So it was 6-27 to 27 at the 54-minute mark. Around uh, 60 minutes, Manawatu, they looked a bit desperate, and I don't think that's, that attitude worked for them. They were giving away penalties. Of course, the clock that goes with them, and uh, it ended up 6-30 to 30 in favor of Otago. Fast forward, and despite it probably being past the time they could actually win, Manawatu were, to me, and to the comms, kind of hard done by in the end. What probably should have been at least a great try scoring opportunity turned into yet another Otago try. It was 11-37 to with 10 minutes to go. And then after yet another freedom... Uh, oh, I, I had it spelled wrong the first time. I had it down as Vacaholo, but it's Vahakolo. What a guy. What, what a name and what a guy. Freedom Vahakolo. After one of his tries, it was 11-44 to with under five minutes to go. And then in the end, Manawatu scored a, a try right at the very end. But man, oh man, they must be exhausted at that point because the conversion literally didn't even make it as far as the post. Everyone on their side was just cashed. End of game. It, it, it didn't look like it was close, and it kind of wasn't. The end result was 16-44. to Well done, Otago. A complete performance all around. Really good. And then we saw Taranaki versus Southland, and, you know, let's, uh, let's face it, a format that lets in a team with only one win, you know, for the entire season, it, that might need a little bit of tweaking. Of, of course, I understand. The whole thing was screwed up by COVID this year. You know, big shocker how many things were. Uh, I'm guessing this isn't a usual outcome. I'm guessing this is not the type of records you would see matched up. But in any event, Southland in a massive deluge. Oh, my gosh. They made it a real game, despite my cynical predictions. And, you know, at the three-quarter mark, they were very much, uh, quote, in punching distance, as the comms put it. And they were only behind 19-13. to 13. But after another penalty, Taranaki made it a two-score affair and quickly added another one. It was 25-13 to 13 at that point with just five minutes to go. 
Uh, there was a messy no try in the soupy late moments, and as they tried their desperate drive to get at least something better for a result, the conditions were such that I, this is. It, it took me a little while to just like notice just how bad it was. The conditions were such that when the ball hits the ground, it can't bounce. It literally doesn't bounce because it just goes dead because the entire field is a pool. Like it's it's a pool that is like. Uh, a centimeter shorter than the height of the grass. So anytime you, you try to pass it to somebody who hits the ground, you just kind of see splash, boof, and it just stops. Anyway, it was rough. The Stags then gave away a yellow card just for fun, I guess, and Taranaki emerged from the quagmire. It was 25 to 13 in a really sloppy affair. Probably should have been better for Taranaki, but uh, at least they got the win. So that wrapped up the championship division for the season, which means we'll see Taranaki versus Otago in the championship final. And I think I'm right that Taranaki will be hosting that one. Yeah, I gotta say, as an American, it's just still bizarre for me to use championship to mean anything but exactly that, like the championship. So phrases like championship final always just, it just feels redundant. So, and if you too are confused by these terms, Check out my mini bonus pod entitled, What's the Deal with NPC Rugby? It was published back on September 30th. Feel free to check it out. In any event, we then, we've moved on to the big boys in the Premiership Division. Uh, and the two division matchups featured some really good ones. The first one was, of course, Hawks Bay uh, versus Tasman. And, you know, right from the, right from the get-go, Mitch Hunt, he looked intent on getting the upset for the Beko. I've been wondering why the crowd's been relatively small for these matches, by the way, and only just as I was watching this did I finally hear a commentator mention that the COVID rules are very strict at the moment in New Zealand, so they're only allowed a small percentage of their usual audiences. I actually felt weirdly reassured by that, because it, it just it seemed like a sin for so much great rugby to be played in front of so few people. Anyway... <clears throat> Strange thing to be glad about, I guess. But anyway, a lot of scoring, as you would expect. The Magpies captain managed to score a try with his pants pulled down, which is a new one on me. I've never seen a, a man with his pants pulled down actually score for a professional team before. But that made it 12-13 to 13 after the first quarter. Tasman then went on a bit of a run. They scored a couple more tries, including one that came from a missed forward pass. That was, uh, yeah, that was very lucky for them. At 30 minutes, it was suddenly 12 to 25. Hawks Bay got a nice breakaway for the heartbreaking end of half try, pulling themselves to within 17 to 25 at the break. Hawks Bay kept their momentum in the second half and got to within one just after the 52nd minute. And so the aptly named McClutchy, he, he slotted a penalty kick to give the Magpies their first lead of the entire contest, 27 to 25 at the 65 minute mark. And then an exciting try for Lester Fanga Anuku, and that put Tasman back up. Without the conversion, it was 27 to 30 with just about 10 minutes left. You know, yet another incredible match in the NPC. And as you, <clears throat> as you would expect, an incredible finish with the Magpies absolutely pounding on the door over and over and over, desperate for a try that would put them within a conversion of a win and a trip to the final. But the clock goes into the red. They're playing an advantage, but somehow, I don't know when it happened, but the advantage must have silently run out. Tasman get an unbelievable turnover a couple minutes past full time, and they escape the top-seeded home team to punch their ticket to another final. Heartbreak 
for the Magpies and elation for the Mako. What a finish and what a competition. And then finally, we got to the capper for the weekend. It was Waikato versus Canterbury, which I have saved as a little gift to myself for the upcoming week. Go Bodenwaka, go Waikato, and go me for this little tiny bit of self-care, right? Oh, and please, everyone, if you're listening and you're thinking about reaching out, no spoilers for at least like two days, please, and thank you. Oh, yes. And then we got to our much-anticipated Autumn Internationals, week three. Ooh, even the phrase, Autumn Internationals, just ooh, gets me every time. And oh, yes, there were serious, serious tests this weekend. It was exhilarating, to say the least. Uh, you know, as my listeners do know by now, and as I mentioned it, most, you know, most intros to the show, I am a supporter of the Scottish national team. So this was a big match for me. I've been thinking about it and frankly, worrying about it all week. The match, obviously, I'm talking about was, of course, the aforesaid Scotland welcoming South Africa to the confines of BT Murrayfield. And, you know, as things kicked off, hearing the anthem with the pipes, that was just extra. Ugh, loved it. Uh, going over the squads, the comms mentioned that South Africa, they said, had over 1,000 caps in their 23-man squad. Totally mind-boggling. If true, hard to work out the math on that one. I'd, you know, I'd have to see the breakdown. In any case, not a good start for Scotland. Uh, they really got pushed around, and the powerful scrum they displayed against the Wallabies turned into a mirage, just complete dominance by the Bok Pack. After 12 minutes, there was no score. But South Africa have been awarded five penalties to zero for Scotland. That is a recipe for a bad loss. After 15 minutes of nothing but pressure and all the possession deep in Scotland's half, there's a lucky turnover and Duhan breaks away, outrunning almost the entire box side before looking, you know, genuinely surprised to get tackled. Duhan, they, they mentioned via the graphics on the screen, beat the most defenders in last year's Six Nations. I had forgotten about that. So that, that's a nice little factoid. Uh, and so after being pummeled the whole game, Finn steps up for the first potential points. And as usual, he barely hesitates before slotting it right down the middle. 3-0 Scotland at the 17-minute mark. I often like to think that penalty kicks operate on the divine right principle where, you know, if they come from a legitimate penalty, they go through. And if the penalty call was ambiguous or just wrong, the kick's going to miss. Uh, so that factor may have been at play for the Jamie Ritchie penalty that Finn went on to miss. So after another multitude of penalties by Scotland, ugh, they looked really sloppy. Angus Gardner warns them of an impending card, and South Africa take the three to level the score around the 22nd minute mark. More sloppy play followed. It looks like neither Hoggy nor Finn are having games to write home about, and it almost felt inevitable when Malpimpi broke away for a lovely try bringing the score to three to eight, you know, even after Elton Yanchi's missed the conversion, it just felt like things were like the table had uh, slanted and things were just going to slide uh, for what it's worth. Uh, I have no idea why they have Yanchi's kicking. His overall percentage is like 60% and he takes like three times longer to kick than anyone else. It's just a, it's a head scratcher to me, but <clears throat> he does seem nailed on in some ways. So gorgeous try for Stuart right when we needed it, but I felt very sure it was going to be coming back. There was a potential forward pass, then some knock on funny business. Seems good. Too good to be true. No, no. Ags Gardner confirms it. And we get an amazing shot of Hoggy with blue ink on his face in full Braveheart mode. I got to post that picture. 
Scotland were right back in it. Finn kicked the conversion almost contemptuously, and Scotland retake the lead 10-8 to with four and a half to play in the half. Things got a little odd after that. So uh, in my notes here, I said, at this point, the comms are saying things like, quote, what's going on here? Unquote. Oh, wait, I should do it in my old-timey American voice. What's going on here out in this field? Um, Scotland, they look like this is the first time they've played together, period. And each wild pass, wild pass just looked more random than the last one. Somehow, incredibly luckily, Scotland got... Just a, an inexplicable penalty. Uh, I don't know even how, how or why it was given, but there was only 15 seconds to go, allowing a lovely kick to the corner for a potential scoring opportunity. Uh, weird, weird game is what I said in my notes here. And by the way, once again, South Africa defied the usual practices and they brought in an entirely new front row just moments before the half, not 10 minutes into the second half or whatever the usual thing is. Um, it's been working in their way, in their favor. It's been working really well. Um, but in this case, we got the penalty. Finn again kicked it wide. The disappointment in the crowd at that point is audible. 10-8 to 8 is the halftime score, which to me feels like the box have us right where they want us, is what I wrote. I guess the talk in the locker room is going to be all positive. You know, we've got a lead despite being fairly dominated the whole time despite the terrible disparity and penalties conceded you know we still have a couple points ahead you know uh, maybe i have a hard time being optimistic when it comes to scottish rugby but it it feels like the bakis are just going to turn the screws more and more and more and ooh, it's getting so tense and then of course malpimpy's second try came just after the 43 minute mark there was some weirdness around the conversion though it was eventually given and it was 10 to 15 at that point so after Finn got turned into powder by Ebenezerbeth, really things seemed to go sour for Scotland. It, it just everything became discombobulated after that. Two more penalties and it's ten to eighteen. Hamish comes in at fifty-one minutes. Um, that's going to be a tough hill to climb for him. There's basically a penalty at every single phase at this point. Scotland are just in disarray. It was pretty agonizing to watch. South Africa. They got another penalty, and then Stewart got another lovely one, but another miss from the, the, the kicker, and we've left eight points out there. While the score is 15-21, to 21, that's, that's not a good amount of points to be leaving behind. Ouch. At 67 minutes, the Ginger Fire Hydrant got an incredible turnover, and you know the clock is just about to burn, burn, burn. Another penalty made it 15-24. to 24. And then more and more penalties by Scotland. So many penalties. The ref was getting visibly annoyed about it. Just before 70 minutes, the Springboks are actually, I mean, I swear to God, look at the video. The Springbok players were just laughing and carrying on like the Scots weren't even there. They were like, oh, yeah, we're just doing this. It was, you know, I used the phrase varsity versus JV too many times, but that's what it had become at this point. The Immortal. Franz Stein comes in then, and he just nails a biggie. It was like 65 yards. I don't know. It was 765 yards away, maybe. It became 15 to 27 at the 71-minute mark. 71-minute mark. And uh, I think I'm ending the old notes here is what I wrote, and I did. <laughs> Little side note. It seemed like we were just rattled the whole way, right? Like, late in the game... I finally kind of noticed how often just passes and offloads were going to players who were either standing still or or who had momentum 
going in literally a different direction. It's it, it seemed overwhelming, and on top of all the passes that were more like desperate lobs at nobody in particular that landed in places where like three different players were all looking at the ball and, and acting like, oh, who's that for? Uh, it was just a, a mess. Nothing seemed to be going right. Anyway, if I go down the rabbit hole of how bad Scotland looked today, woo, we will not come back out. So anyway, Andre Pollard got another easy one and actually nailed it. He, he's been a little up and down recently. That perfectly doubled Scotland's score by the very end. It was 15 to 30. That was the back-to-earth final score for the boys with the thistle on their chests. And uh, big wake-up call, I think. And then we got Italy at home for the We Haven't Been Home in Two Years Pumas from Argentina. And as I said last week, I just I couldn't figure out who to root for. <laughs> uh, in the end, it was the Argentinians who put on the better display. They got their first win in something like 10 tests. They put away their hosts in Rome. The final score was 16 to 37. This must have been just huge for them. I imagine we'll see a, a bit of letdown next week, I would say, energy-wise. And meanwhile, Italy, Italy, wherefore art thou, Italy? Next, we got Ireland facing the all-powerful All Blacks from New Zealand. And, you know, right off the bat, the Dublin crowd, they will just not allow the All Blacks to hold the stage during the Hakka. And uh, the fields of Athenry drowned out a stirring performance by T.J. Paranara. This looks like a tasty contest already, I said. Uh, I also have to say the, the Aviva is a beautiful stadium. It has like a, a persona, I feel like. And I think visiting sides are always a bit in its shadow, if that makes any sense. Of course, it, it helps when the place is absolutely rocking. And boy, oh boy, was that the case today. So, and this is me heading into the match. I just have a sneaky feeling that this is Ireland's game to steal, and I think the ABs have been taking it a bit easy and didn't maybe feel their strongest squad. I, I can very much see an Irish win, and I can hear all the chatter to follow that with the do Ireland have New Zealand's number narrative uh, taking full flight, but I'm getting ahead of myself here. Also, I don't, I don't plan to take nearly as many notes for this one, but oh my gosh, the crowd, so good. Ireland are up 5-3 to three at 30 minutes with Johnny Sexton hurting for a potential knee knock, and then Kapow, Tyg Furlong, smashes one down for the first try of the match, and Ireland are brimming with confidence. The crowd is an absolute frenzy. What a spectacle. As I say, New Zealand looked to be in a bit of trouble today. Oh, no, 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 no try after all. And the place just became coffin quiet before the rain of booze. Still five to three. Oh my gosh, what a contest. New Zealand are impenetrable on defense. Ireland are absolutely pounding on the door. But there's just nobody home over and over and over. Utterly breathless stuff. Uh, they just put up one for the one of the most amazing stats I've ever seen. The tackle count at this point in the, in the match was 37 for the Irish. Seems reasonable. And wait for it. 143 for the Kiwis. Are you kidding me right now? TJ's defense has been awesome, but they're just trapped in their own territory, and Ireland are, are going to continue the pressure, looking to out New Zealand, New, the New Zealanders at the end of half. Uh, but a line-out throw gets disrupted, and the ABs do their thing. 
snatching another try from out the jaws of unlikelihood. Both sides are probably wondering how it's five to ten at the intermission. So James Lowe may have redeemed himself in the battle of hearts and minds for Irish fans, unless he has, you know, a real honker between now and the end. And by the way, Irish listeners out there, please tell me, how are you feeling about James Lowe right now? I, I gotta know. I gotta know. Ireland finally get one that won't be reviewed. And the wall of all black defense, the goal line finally cracks. It feels like this try should have come earlier for the Irish. And after the odd doink off the goalpost for Sexton, it was tied at 10. I've never seen a score tied when I was so convinced that one side was so far ahead. The momentum of the game as a viewer felt like Ireland should have been up by three scores. It should have been like 31 to 10 Ireland at that point. So Rico Ioane is having a honker. And that seems to be contributing to the AB's inability to get any attack ball. I feel like there might be something legitimately wrong with him right now. I, I, I'm keen to find out what they talk about in the coming week. Meanwhile, the barbed wire tumbleweed, Ardia Savia, oh, he continues to tear balls away and make people sorry they tried to tackle him for doing so. Oh my gosh, he's so good. But then, a huge breakaway for Kalen Doris and, quote, the scoreboard turns green in Ireland's favor, unquote, says my favorite commentator of all. I've just got to nail down who he is. It's stupid at this point that, you know, I keep talking about him and I still don't know his name. It was 17 to 10, and that was the largest lead of the day in favor of the Irish. So then, Will Jordan realized he forgot to score a try in this one, so he went ahead and took care of that. And after a conversion, the ABs found themselves still down three, what a weird position for, for most of them. They've probably never felt that way. So Sexton got whacked again shortly thereafter and went off this time, but Ireland just got another made penalty to make it 23-17 to 17 with 15 minutes to go. Shocked to see with 10 minutes to go, New Zealand kicking to stay down three instead of going for the corner. So in my teeny tiny little estimation, I think they just kind of gave up the game, I wrote here. Um, that seemed like a really poor and sort of, I don't know, wuss decision. It seems like they should have gone for it. Anyway, we'll see. Hopefully I am wrong is what I wrote. But then, <laughs> I was right about one thing. Another mistake for Rico, and that gave it back to Ireland. They looked to wind it down for a nice win at home. Oh, God, as I said, I could already hear the annoying narratives. A late penalty around the 77-minute mark took the last of the wind out of the Kiwi sails, and Ireland were able to really put a stamp on it at the, as the clock wound down, winning another convincing victory over the All Blacks. It was 29-20 in the end. I wish I had an idea of what New Zealand fans were thinking and feeling right now. Hint, hint, listeners. And by the way, the match official, Luke Pierce, he made a mistake during this match uh, that he pretty quickly realized might have been a mistake. And he sort of semi-apologized. I have the quote here, quote, You had the advantage, and I called it over. Perhaps it was a bit too soon, you know? Or, I'm sorry, he said, Perhaps it was a bit too soon. Who knows? End quote. That was Luke Pearson. I've got the sample here. Good win for Ireland. Oh, my gosh. Are they the new giant killers? This is going to change how everyone thinks about them going to Six Nations. Wow. You had the advantage, and I called it over. Perhaps it was a bit soon. Who knows? After that, I really started moving a lot quicker in terms of notes, even though, you know, the, the next one was my pick of the weekend. It was England at home facing Australia. 
the the Wallabies were going to, of course, be looking to get back to the form that saw them beating the Springboks twice in a row. But boy, my predictions were way wrong, and uh, England ended up winning thirty-two to fifteen. It, it didn't look good. Um, I have to wonder what Aussie feeling uh, fans are are feeling like right now. <laughs> you know, when I talked to Blaze just recently, he talked about the the ups and downs of the Aussie fans and how they're that's the roller coaster they're always on, and I I guess that's what we've gotten ourselves on board for because it was five in a row and now two down, and I feel like things are probably coming off the rails in Oz. And then, of course, to end up the week, we had two Sunday fixtures, including France, who were in Paris to face Georgia. And, oh my word, that French kit, it is so, so good looking. And frankly, that's what the USA kit should look like. How do the French have the market cornered on the red, white, and blue? It, it, it's embarrassing for us. Like, uh, we're the red, white, and blue. Come on. Uh, annoying. In, in, in any case, they also played the actual match. And, uh, you know, Georgia acquitted themselves better than people like myself had predicted. Uh, it got to 31 to 15 with about 17 minutes remaining. And France are looking fairly undercooked this autumn, I have to say. Things are not going the way I thought they were going to go. Uh, Demian Penno, he popped an easy one in with just under 10 to go, though Jelly Bear couldn't convert it, so it was 36 to 15 for France at 73 minutes. And then Pito uh, Movaka, gosh, I, I pronounced it right when I was writing this, but Pito Movaka, he got his third try in two weeks, they mentioned on comms. That's a great stat. He must be feeling really good. That was right towards the end. And with Jelly Bear doinking another one off the right post, the match ended 41 to 15, and the score, you know, might have flattered the home side just a little bit. So early in the second, Fiji regained the lead with the penalty kick, and I'm not sure what Wales' plan is at this stage. Yet another moment of frustration for Lewis Resamet, and another opportunity goes awry for the home team. So I know there are many, many issues with injuries and all sorts of things, but my confidence in Wales. It's taking an absolute beating right now. They just don't seem to have a, a top team. I, I don't know who they are or what they're doing. I'm not sure what to make of it. Uh, I'll tell you, I've been trying to get a Welsh voice on this podcast for quite a while now just to get that perspective. Uh, if you're a Welsh fan, if you want to speak out or if you know somebody who could, please, please reach out You know, once you've recovered from the hangover that you're going to have after this game, no doubt. Um Wales have been on defense basically from the get-go, and when, after a quick tap, the Flying Fijians scored a blaster on the wing, Wales look, frankly, just lost. Um, just before the three-quarter mark, it was 14-23 to 23 in favor of the visitors. The body language on both sides says that that will be that. However, Wales do get a score. Unconverted, they get it back to 19-23 to 23 at the 64-minute mark. Uh, but finally, by the hair of his chinny-chin-chin, Cuthbert dots one down right in the very corner to give Wales a lead for the first time since, I'm pretty sure, the Roaring Twenties. Uh, they've got a one-point lead heading into the home stretch. It was 25-24. to And then, wow, what looks like the try of the year by, to, and from Lewis Rees-Zammett. Lewis Rees-Zammett! Uh, I, I wrote here, it's about to get called back for clear and obvious reasons, but no. They just decide, you know what? It's been tough for him. Uh, let's just give it to him. We're just going to ignore the obvious 
you know, infringements along the way. <laughs> and so suddenly Wales are gifted a two score lead with under five minutes to go. That was, oh, that was rough for Fijian fans. They just, I just imagine all the open jaws right at that moment. Uh, in the end, what felt like a serious screw job against the Islanders it was complete. Wales pulled out a bizarre and, in my opinion, not really deserved win. They closed out the contest after a salt in the wounds try by Liam Williams. The final score 38 to 23. Fiji, they must be stunned. I just, I, I don't know. It felt like highway robbery, despite the fact that I generally hope Wales are going to win. I'm usually on their side, but. This time, it, it didn't feel right. I just, ooh, Fiji felt jobbed. Did anyone anyone else think that? You know, okay, well, that's, maybe that's why I'm not a ref. Okay, that brings us to our coveted Diamond in the Ruck Award. And this week, the award goes to Mr. Evil himself, Eben Etzebeth. South Africa came to Scotland with a game plan, and that plan was get Etzebeth as many carries as he's ever gotten, and then double that number and have him smash into the Scotland line over and over and over again. So while he wasn't the only reason the Bakis came away with a victory this weekend, Eben, your impact, the demoralizing effect your play had on my boys, it went a long way to securing that outcome. So despite the fact that I obviously hate you and want you to go away and never, ever, ever play Scotland again, even I must admit how great you were on the day. And therefore, evil Eben, monster of men, you are, begrudgingly, this week's Diamond in the Ruck. I just have to give it to you, and congratulations, sir. Hard one. So that brings us to looking ahead to next week's previews. So, of course, we'll have the Prem Division and the Championship Division Finals in the NPC. Oh, my gosh, that's going to be good. That should be amazing. So as we talked about earlier, Otago will be facing Taranaki. I think Taranaki will be hosting that one. Uh, And then we have the real season ender. And I can't tell you who's actually going to be involved with that. I know one side, but... I don't know the other side because, as I've said, I haven't seen the Waikato results. And again, please, please, no spoilers. So the Prem and the URC are both off for another weekend, leaving the focus on the end of this year's Autumn Internationals. Oh, saying the end of it just seems sad. I'm going to miss them already. So Italy will be taking on a scrappy Uruguay. I definitely want Italy to win that one. Scotland will be looking to right the ship against Japan. The one that we've been dying for, the rematch of the Rugby World Cup 2019 final. England hosting the world champs South Africa at Twickenham. Oh my gosh, that's going to be good. And then another smashing contest. It's going to be Wales versus Australia. And perhaps the sneaky best matchup of the entire series, France will be welcoming the stunned All Blacks to Paris. As I've said, France look off the boil. The All Blacks look confused and a little bit off the boil. Who knows what's going to happen in that one, but it's going to... I mean, is it going to tell us anything, or is it just going to lead us up the the primrose path again? Ireland, of course, will be hoping to keep up the intensity. 
that they brought to bear against New Zealand this weekend, and they will be playing against the oh-so-weary Argentinians. I've already said I, I'm guessing the Argentinians will basically be having coffee and pastries during this one. But, wow, what a weekend. And I'm not even sure where to put this exactly, so I'll put it here. There's technically one more match that falls into this autumn's window, which is going to be the Barbarians versus Samoa. That'll be on Saturday, November 27th, but I don't even know if it's going to be watchable here in the States. I, I, I have no idea who's broadcasting it or how it's going to affect anything. I mean, I guess the world rugby standings will be affected, so check out Blaze's podcast and he'll tell you all about it. Wow, this has been so cool. What an autumn. Oh, dude, I miss it already so much. <laughs> okay. Well, my friends, that does it for another week. Thank you so much for listening and for reaching out. It's just, it's always so great to hear from you. If you'd like to get in touch, as always, you can use Twitter. I am at of Scrum. You can find me at the Scrum of the Earth podcast on Instagram. And of course, if you're old fashioned like me, you can just shoot me an email. The address is the Scrum of the Earth at gmail.com. If you can bring yourself to drop me a nice review, that would, you know, that would please me to no end and would really help spread the pod to other listeners. And if you like what I'm doing here and what you're listening to, there are a couple ways you could show me your support listed in the show notes below this episode. Thank you, as always, so much for coming along. Thank you all over the globe, all over the world. Thank you. Cheers. Talk to you soon. And be well.